You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Timeform, the trusted source of racing data and analysis, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Racing App, in partnership with FitzDares. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Friday, February the 9th, wet here in TW11, as it is everywhere at the moment, and that has meant the fixtures at Warwick and Utoxeter Saturday are abandoned. More news on the Kingmaker Novices Chase and its rescheduling to follow. Kempton has survived its inspection today, Friday afternoon. That's where I'm heading. And Newbury's big Betfair fixture tomorrow will go ahead Saturday. No reported problems there. That'll be to the relief of Nicky Henderson, who's mop-handed in a race he loves the bet for Hurdley's won it uh, half a dozen times before. Shishkin, though, is his big runner on Saturday afternoon. Uh, the mercurial Shishkin, uh, who goes in the Betfair Denman chase. And as you'll hear from the trainer a little later on, he will run there come what may. That's what's going on on the course. Very important development off the course. Is the Chancellor of the Exchequer himself, Jeremy Hunt, about to step in and save horse racing's bacon ahead of his government uh, pushing through gambling legislation? We've learned here that a key group of racing's leaders, amongst them senior figures in the Jockey Club and in the British Horse Racing Authority, have met with members of the House of Lords who are known supporters uh, of racing, uh, amongst them Nick Herbert, Lord Herbert, who'd been a key figure in the Countryside Alliance, and they have been given a hearing by Jeremy Hunt, who himself has gone back to those drafting legislation and has posed them uh, some questions and has instituted, as one very senior racing insider put it to me today, some checks and challenges. Is the Chancellor about to ride to racing's rescue? That must be set in the context of racing's wider lobbying efforts, which was um, set into sharp relief yesterday by former co-chair of the all-party parliamentary group, Conor McGinn, the Labour MP for St. Helens, a a constituency that includes Haydock and very close to to Aintree, of course, who rather bemoaned uh, racing's current lack of ability when it comes to engendering interest in the sport from uh, Labour Party members. So let's start with that before moving on to what uh, the Lords have been up to with Jeremy Hunt, Lydia Hislop. He said that there's a real illiteracy in Parliament around horse racing and gambling. Um, He said that um, he's never he also particularly criticised the sport for failing to establish links with a a possible incoming Labour government. Um, He said that he he personally has never seen anyone in racing as being of political stripe or colour, but that's not always the view in Westminster and it certainly isn't always the view in the Labour Party. There is still a perception that racing is posh, it's run by toffs, it's heavily heavily identified with the Conservative Party. None of that's true, it's very unfair, but it's difficult to change and sometimes the discourse with Parliament is through those who might be identified as that. So he he basically said that racing has a, a lot of work to do in order to improve understanding on a wide enough basis amongst uh, MPs who um, are, are often standing and talking about betting having not had a, a bet themselves and do not understand the economic impact of the plans and, and what they will have on the sport. So he thinks that racing has got a lot of work to do in order to improve improve understanding and he particularly thinks that uh, racing has failed to connect with sufficient numbers of Labour MPs. Right well to add grist to that mill before we talk about what the sport might be doing to add grist to that mill there was a racing reception in Parliament last Monday. How many MPs do you reckon showed up to it? Did it make double figures? No nine. Oh. How many Labour MPs do you reckon turned up? Oh God, I'm I'm hoping it's not none. You're hoping, I'm afraid, against hope because it is none. There were, however, a couple of Labour peers who did turn up um, to this, um, but only four peers in total. So not great, though. Stuart Andrew, the minister, did speak, as did the BHA's uh, chief executive Julie Harrington, as did Lawrence Robertson. Um, a long-time stalwart of the APPG, the All-Party Parliamentary Group on 
uh, racing and bloodstock. However, Lydia, um, the BHA, I'm sure, would conjecture that they've been doing you know, good work behind the scenes, that they've had an audience with Dangam Debonair and Steph Peacock, who are likely to be key incumbents when there's a, a Labour government, if and when there is a Labour government at the uh, at the end of the year. Um, but you sort of feel that, that Conor McGinn, who's right at the heart of this or has been at the heart of this as a co-chair himself as a, of the all-party parliamentary group, would have a pretty good idea. Yes. I mean, clearly he's an independent ex-Labour MP. He's not going to be standing again. Uh, so you, you can view his perspective as you will. But he, he's, he's clearly trying to advise racing on where it stands. And... It, it certainly is of concern. I mean, there there have been so many, there has been so much going on and the um, the BHA, the industry is having to um, connect with the current incumbents because, you know, there are, there are so many things to be talking about, levy reform, affordability checks. There are a, a number of things that have, have happened, you know, welfare elements as well about, about the sport. And so I can understand why the focus has been the various arrows that that are being uh, sent towards racing in the short term. However, you have got to be able to plan for the future at the same time. It, it, the way the, the polls are going, and it's been a, a long-standing uh, point, the likelihood is that w there will be a Labour government next. And so, yes, you absolutely do need to connect. And it's this, um, the, the thing that Connor seemed to be highlighting was a, a sort of a, a lack of sort of real world understanding of, you know, people, you know, ordinary people, you and I in the street and others, you know, the the the, the ordinary person. And he's saying that there are people who stand up in Parliament and pontificate and expound on racing and gambling who have never placed a bet, but they speak with all the moral authority and superiority of people who want to tell, tell those of us um, how we should spend the money that we earn and what, what approved activities one should engage in. So there is this kind of um, new puritanism, which you and I have talked about before, that seems to be um, at play in society widely. And there is that underlying problem that these days people who go into parliament often see uh, being a politician as the career the first career rather than something that is done after you have a more experience of life and more real world engagement now here's where it gets quite interesting because clearly there is a sense of urgency because it, it's considered that we're getting quite close to this present government insofar as it's going to last all that long pushing through uh, gambling legislation and in these dying throes uh, it seems as though uh, horse racing's representation particularly in the house of lords is making quite strong representations particularly to the chancellor of the exchequer jeremy hunt um lord herbert nick herbert you might know him from his work at the countryside alliance he's a uh, a big racing supporter uh, baroness harding who's the uh, the senior steward of the jockey club and other key racing leaders and supporters from the uh, upper chamber, from the House of Lords, uh, have uh, petitioned uh, Jeremy Hunt and have uh, been heard, um, I'm told, by Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor of the Exchequer. And Hunt himself has gone back to, the, uh, to those who are drafting the legislation and has asked them a few questions. I, I put it to one or two insiders that this was an intervention. They stopped short of confirming it was an intervention, but did confirm that Jeremy Hunt uh, had been uh, petitioned by members of the House of Lords who were close to horse racing, had had their ear, and had asked questions to those who were uh, about to draft the legislation, Lydia, which is quite an important um, development. Very important development. That's really interesting news, Nick. And it's I uh, can only be good news for racing, I think. I mean, just the fact that it's happening. Uh, let's hope it has a positive result. But for the Chancellor to be asking pertinent questions um, and asking for a report from his officials on the financial implica implications of uh, affordability checks, the, the, the gambling white paper, and also on, on le levy reforms, means that he is actually engaging in the numbers. And that's always been an angle I think that has been there for the sport in terms of the actual financial impact because it, it we've discussed many times before that it seems strange that it is the Conservative Party who are pursuing this uh, particular morality agenda I, I we've discussed before you know that we the bookmakers behavior 
had towards vulnerable people had been reprehensible, that gambling reform hasn't kept up with modernity, that something did need to be done, there did need to be reform. But we've discussed the reason many times the reasons why um, I think most of us feel that this is not the right way to do it. And it seems strange that it was the Conservative Party that would be would be pushing it through when it was going to be doing so much financial damage, not just to the sport itself and the wider industry, but also in terms of what the Treasury would be receiving. And it, it seemed that for a while that there was a disconnect between um, all of these things that were being done in, in the minds of the people putting the form for very good reasons and what actually the real world financial impact would be and if the chancellor is asking those questions it might be that finally those two things are being drawn up and that the uh, the government might actually start to understand the scale of devastation that it could wreak by something that it is pursuing for in its mind right the right reasons but without fully understanding the implications yeah so Clearly, some um, significant support from racing's lobby in the House of Lords, and it appears to be listened to by Jeremy Hunt. Whether anything happens, who knows? Um, you know, members of the all-party parliamentary group like Ben Wallace, Pretty Patel, Nadim Zahawi, a few ghosts of Christmas past there, Lydia. I mean, mm. any, anyone suggesting that, that racing's contacts were better in the Tory party and the Labour party? that are borne out by that, really. Well... I mean, it doesn't surprise you, does it? Um, I know that Connor McGinn is arguing that um, that racing doesn't have a particular uh, political stripe. Well, at, at the level where it engages with Parliament, I think it, it, it would be fair that to say that it predominantly does. That isn't to say that racing is a, a sport just for for posh people, I agree with him there. Clearly, um, you know, ordinary people, people from working class backgrounds like myself, um, are people who very much got got into racing. Um, so I, I, I mean, I, I can't stand those posh bastards myself. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't making a, a, a tacit point. Um, I, 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 I think it's it's inarguable that racing's connections are more, at a political level are more um, pivoted towards the Conservative Party than the Labour Party. And of course, the Conservative Party have been in power for 14 years. So the, mm. there are some some reasons for that. And also uh, the previous uh, leader of the Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn, uh, would have been of a, a very um, wouldn't wouldn't there would have been a number of things which racing rubs up against and even the sport itself, maybe where which would not sit with uh, his particular uh, political views. The current Labour Party is different in in many different ways uh, from that. Um, and if the current form is anything to go by, uh, the likelihood that uh, the Labour Party is going to greatly deviate from the current Conservative Party seems to be yeah. getting smaller, smaller all the time. Uh, the BHA has issued a statement to this programme. They've said the BHA lobbies politicians and officials across Westminster on an almost daily basis on a wide range of issues with gambling reform, levy review, the need for racing roles on the government's shortage occupation list, equine transport and horse welfare, just a few of the areas where we're leading the charge on behalf of the sport. Inevitably, much of this work takes place in the corridors of power and is only visible to those at the heart of government and those at senior levels in the sport. But we are frequently reminded by politicians and officials when we meet them that when the BHA galvanises a cross-industry effort, our voice is heard loud and clear. As a sport, it's essential that we speak with one voice if we're to be confident of having lasting influence on the government. That is a statement from the BHA, and it'll be interesting to see whether Jeremy Hunt's contribution um, is a meaningful one at the 11th hour. Alrighty, on to the race course now. And to Shishkin, box office horse tomorrow for good and bad. A horse who didn't start first up this season, unseated his rider in bizarre circumstances when perhaps going to win the King George last time. What'll he do at Newbury? I've been on the phone to Nicky Henderson and I've been asking him how he is and whether he's been on best behaviour. He's been great. I mean, we've had no problems. I mean, the only issue was, yeah, he had a he had a mark on the inside of his off foreleg after the when he you know when he came back from Kempton, but uh, that was sore. But I'm sure that's what he hit. That's for some reason it came up like a splint, but it's gone now, and he's been very good. Everything's gone completely according to plan. He, he, we'd schooled him twice. Um, since in the last week 
and he's been very good. He was very sharp. Yeah, really good. Um, so, so he's not been he's not been naughty or difficult or you think well, he's he's not Nick. He never. I mean, he does sometimes have that sort of tendency very early on in the season. We've always found that once he's had a run, he's in our mm. he's in our um, um, hands. If you mm. know what I mean. Mm. You've got him then. Earlier on the year, he could be a bit stroppy with us sometimes. Okay, but now he's. No, I mean, you wouldn't, butter wouldn't melt in his mouth, as they might say, but I can't see there's a, I mean, the, the, the three miles start at Newbury again does start going away from home, I admit, but it's, you know, there'll be somebody at the start to keep him calm, but he was very good at Kempton and I, I don't really see any problems. Um, gr- be my famous last words. I thought you might be worried about the ground, but not, not too worried. Well, I think, the biggest problem is we've got nowhere else to go, and I can't think waiting for Ascot next weekend is going to help us. We're at two mile five to race one last year, but you know he's getting close enough anyway. And he's only, to be fair, we were worried at Kempton that that was his first run of the season, and he might need it. And it didn't look as if he did need it at Kempton. I mean, who was going to say probably going to take ten more strides and blow up, but. It didn't look like it, did it? No. So I think he was pretty straight down. He'll be even straighter now. So he's got to get a run in. Before, if he's going to go to the Gold Cup, he's got to get a run in now. Okay. Um, let's just talk about the ones in the bet for hurdle. You've won. How many times have you won this? Is it six? I do know. I'm embarrassed to say I'm not sure. Oh, I'll have to. I'll have to go back and have a look. I think it's five or six. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I, I see that uh, Nico's on on Iberico Lord, who was e- extremely impressive, I thought, in the Great Wood Hurdle. If he runs the same way that he did at Cheltenham, isn't he still a really well handicapped horse off 134? Yeah, I think he is quite, and I think he's respectably handicapped anyway. But bearing in mind that nobody's well handicapped in the race because of Willie's horse, mm. who is ridiculously well handicapped. Well, we think, we think, don't we? It is. Anthony Bromley was explaining this on the podcast yesterday that they get a hundred and they get two point two times in Ireland and two times yeah. in in the UK because the Irish and the English handicappers can't work out what the right uh, multiple is yeah. for, for for French yeah. form. So I'd, one of them is right and one of them is wrong, but like, who knows which which one? Well, uh, yeah, I can't see that he can be six pounds lower in in England than he can be in Ireland. Mm. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, if that's the case of what's going to happen come through March, we might as well all go on holiday that week and just leave it to Willie. <laughs> well, only if you've got horses that have yeah, only run in France. Last weekend. Well, yeah. I mean, the key is that it's it, only if you've got horses that have only run in France and they've got no other form yeah, to judge. I mean, yeah, we, we, we've had a fair, obviously, get a lot of these horses do come from France and some of them do have a mark that they bring over with them. And sometimes I do think they're not too harshly treated. It depends where they've been. If they've been in Otoy, they're definitely going to get you know, they take a lot of respect to those races. They t- I think they tend to feel that anywhere else is not as significant. Mm. But, I mean, this horse has been to Otoy several times, and it seems his mark was quite generous anyway, to be honest with you. But to be six pounds lower does seem to make it a bit of a mockery. Okay. Um, so, um, leaving Ocastle Dame... Dame- yeah. Well, I mean, all, all all of yours, really. I mean, they're all interesting in in different ways. Do you do you have a hunch for one or one or the other, or do you think that Iberico Lord is much? Nico sort of we, we've they've split them up. Well, we've split them up. It's slightly feeling that Iberico Lord and Doddy the Great are the two that will probably handle the conditions maybe better than Lucia and. And under control. Lucia has got form in very, very soft ground. She won a bumper at Stand Down years ago in a bog, mm. a listed bumper by 20 lengths or something. But I just sort of feel that gave us a little false pretense that she did like soft ground, and I'm not sure she does. But she was very impressive at Ascot last time, but that was quite good ground that day. She did get the run of the race, too, and Iberica Law was very disappointing. Yeah. So that's But Nico's chosen him. Um, it was his choice, um, and you know that, that that's what he's going to ride. I think mainly because of the ground, and I think Doddy is the other one that um, will cope with it in the grounds that he probably wants a bit more than two miles anyway. 
Well, that was Friday Breakfast with the Master of Seven Barrows. This is something of the weekend with our friends at the Sporting Life editor. Dave Ord is with me today. Your colleague, Ben Scoop-Linfoot, set the bar very, very high with his plays and lays, I thought, at the Dublin Racing Festival, Dave. He knows it as well, Nick. He's strutting around here like a like a peacock. He, he knows it went very well. And yeah, it's very rare that you follow Scoop and the bars race to a significant height, but somehow he's managed it. We're going to concentrate on a horse that is going to sharply divide opinion, the one we've just been talking about, Shishkin. The box office Shishkin upon whom all eyes will be. And from your perspective, it's going to be quite an interesting day for this horse because he, he's bidding to shed something. He is. He needs to shed the time form squiggle, uh, which he picked up with his um, aborted reappearance at Ascot, where he planted himself. And I know there was plenty of head scratching here before it was added to his master rating. But the, the argument is it's an aid for punters to squiggle. It appears extra number to, to say, look, that there is a warning, that a caveat that comes attached to this horse. And it is that start, the fact that he planted himself. They needed to be convinced that he wouldn't do it again, and, and they're not. Even after the King George, where, yep, he jumped off. And I don't know about you, I thought Nico was as animated through that first sort of 10, 12, 15 strides than he was at any other stage of the race. It was definitely, he, he wanted him rolling and wanted him in, in going forward. And he got him there in the end. I think it'll take a bit more than jumping off at Newbury to lose the the squiggle, but it would be another step in the direction. And there is a history of horses managed to, managing to get rid of it as well as some really good ones over the years. So do you think, Dave, it will be a case of prodigal son or will it be a case of digging his heels in again i think it will be a case of prodigal son. I, I think i think he'll be okay i think nicky made the point about where the start was situated at ascot the reappearance the cheek pieces i think there was a lot that went into it um i, I think he was good enough at Kempton to suggest it, it shouldn't be a problem here and fingers crossed it isn't because we, we need him a for this race and it's great news that he's running and b we want him to be going forward to Cheltenham for that gold cup as well don't we it's interesting when you look at the denman chase as well it's got a history for horses with the typhon squiggle um last year's winner zanza had one he had a 162 weight adjusted rating with a squiggle it didn't stop him probably the they best example. A, they should, they, they, there's no such thing as a they shouldn't have had a squiggle for running at newbury where he was 6 for 6 or whatever yeah. it was i mean i will give you this he did have the positive course flag <laughs> good cast form but that was sort of overshadowed by his squiggle but the, the best example i think of a horse with a squiggle and then losing it in recent times um poor old tiger roll had to win two grand nationals before he lost his but tidal bay had a squiggle when he finished fifth in the 2012 uh, demon chase as an 11 year old the reporter said he wasn't in anything like the same form as in the cotswold losing interest after a mistake at the ninth wanting nothing to do with his rider's attempts to humor him he went on to win three of his next five races Losing the squiggle after the third win produced his best performances too. Second in a Hennessy is an 11-year-old winning to 172 on time form. And winning in a Lexus when rated 174 with the squiggle, it soon disappeared after that. So, Nicky, Shishki's squiggle if it, can go. If ever there was evidence that Tidal Bay deserved a squiggle, it was his victory in the Lexus, where he <laughs> monkeyed his way through the whole race and got one of the greatest rides of all time from Ruby Walsh, threading the eye of a needle to win. I mean, it, it, wasn't, it was a masterclass, but the, the delete button was pressed, Nick. He, he was trustworthy again, even at the age of 11. 12, he was, sorry, at the time. Just shows. I should point out that Weirdal is the third horse running a, a demonstrator with a squiggle in recent times. He pulled up and ran twice more before he tired. So it doesn't always work out. Okay, so that's Shishkin. Can he shed the squiggle? Of course, you're not allowed to say time form squiggle without using the word dreaded in front of it, the dreaded time form squiggle. And what about the, the Betfair hurdle itself? What have you got for me there? Interesting race, isn't it? I, I went, put, did a preview earlier in the week and I was liking the, the novices, the two that had run in that form beer at Aintree, hoping that the ground would better tell her name, Camerus, because of Camsinus. But the worry is the ground for both now, isn't it? We're heavy, soft in places, the, the rains come, etc., etc. The squiggle horses in here, if you're, if you're a fan of a rogue, you have a couple you can go at. York has got two squiggles. Which is basically not even a rating, just one to leave alone is a comment with him. And if he squeezes in, only a matter of time for Willie Mullins. Um, shrewd connections, he's got the squiggle because he's dived out uh, twice, run out at hurdles on two of his last three runs. I wouldn't be convinced that I'd be siding with him because he needs to see no daylight at all, which would be quite a hard act for anybody to pull off down the the Newbury Strait. It's a funny bet for Hurdle, isn't it? We, it's an interesting race, a competitive race, a ground change thing, but we're very light on those 150 old school hurdlers, aren't we? You're the higher rated ones. They're not around 140 top rated. It's very, very competitive. Yeah, I think there could still be a fair few well-handicapped horses in there. David, thank you very much. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks, Nick. David Orr there, editor of The Sporting Life, on the history of the time form squiggle, and before that, Nicky Henderson, the trainer of 
the most high-profile horse in training with a time form squiggle, Shishkin. Um, the chances of it being removed tomorrow, Lydia, uh, rest on him starting well, travelling smoothly and winning comfortably. Are you expecting any or all of those things to happen? I think he'll be fine tomorrow. Um, although I do think at some point the problem is going to recur. Everything went incredibly smoothly prior to the King George. Uh, nobody was 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 playing nasty. It wasn't the uh, white hot feeling of the Cheltenham Festival where you know all bets are off um, amongst uh, you know amongst the the, the participants. Uh, what I mean is. Shishkin was um, allowed to walk onto the track in one continuous motion. N you know, no, nobody accidentally got in his way. Nobody caused Shishkin to have a, a, a moment to think about whether or not he might run, and he off he went. He he did he didn't travel that great. I mean, it did see he did look as though um, Nick de Boindwell had to remind him to keep his mind on the job during the course of the King George. So, I mean, I wouldn't be removing the squiggle anytime soon. I'm tremendously fond of all of the horses on that list. The the top uh, rated chasers that have got squiggles, um, they bring a bit of character to the sport. So anyway, I think I think she's going to be fine at Newbury on Saturday. I wonder about Cheltenham. Mm. And is that that's just an atmospheric thing rather than a, a track topography thing or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, an, an atmospheric thing, absolutely. And and the fact that you know on on big days like that, no quarter is given, and so that is an, a known um, worry about Shishkin. And you know, just I'm I'm just facing facts that, you know, that this is this is elite sport. Every angle is always explored. There'll be no quarter given. And we've seen Shishkin uh, be uh, tardy in the early part of the Ryanair last last season, you know, tardy early on in other races on, on the big day. I, you know, I, I think I'd be more concerned about Cheltenham than I would about Newbury. I expect him to win serenely at Newbury. He's a, I mean, he's a very talented horse. Yes, and he has he has a decent horse in Protectorat up against him as well. It'll be interesting to see uh, whether he can dispatch him. But one last thing, isn't it funny? You've got a horse who we know everything about, it seems, that has an R and a U by his uh, name, and yet I still feel he's unexposed. In <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we don't know. We don't know how good he is at three miles. We haven't seen a great deal of evidence well, three of Three miles plus, you know. Yeah. Exactly. We've only seen Aintree, where he seemed to outstay a hoy senor. Um, and so we, we we just don't know. He refused to race at Ascot. And then he looked like he was... I mean, I think he would have won. The, I think most people do. The King George. You know, and he was just very unfortunate, uh, knocking into himself and, and stumbling, having jumped the second last cleanly. So he, he is in that area. He is unexposed. So as Nico de Boinville got it right in the Betfair hurdle, Iberico Lord to bounce back to his Greatwood hurdle win. I, I put it there to Nicky Henderson. Isn't he still well handicapped off 134? His gut reaction was to say, yes, he is, and then went acceptably handicapped. Which, you, know, <laughs> which, you know means he thinks he's chucked in as well. Not, he thinks he's not quite as chucked in as O'Castle de Mott, who's now going to be ridden by Daryl Jacob. I'm pleased the owners have asked for Daryl to ride, given that he is their man. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, and it will be it will be a, a very good uh, testing of Anthony Bromley's theory, won't it? Uh, so I, I was listening to his explanation of the entry and all the various things that had, had happened to to make sure that his working was was correct. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see a castle de, de Mott. I look forward to Daryl on board him. I think that Iberico Lord is still incredibly well handicapped. I, I just I just don't think the race worked in his favour at Ascot last time. I he, he's going to handle the conditions. He he screamed in at Cheltenham in November. I'm of your view. That, that that's that's the likeliest winner in my, in my book. Yeah, unless he was a one hit wonder then uh, he, he wasn't the one hit wonder was he i mean remember last season he, he ran incredibly well when second at sign I, I yeah I, I just think he was unfortunate last time sorry well, but go on finish no, your finish your reasoning no i, I probably know what i probably meant to say was unless he was a you get one and done in the season you know one of those you know mm -hmm. i he can't hold his form then I, I can't see how he can't run really really well because the race has just worked out so so well no i mean and there's, there's no signs of that 
profile that you're talking about i mean obviously it can you know come to pass in a horse you, as you see more of them you understand them better but if you look at last season it was just a it was a steadily building um season wasn't it so i i i don't i don't see that at the moment i just think he's he's a well handicapped horse who didn't have the race run to suit last time should have everything run to suit here and will probably win okay um the kingmaker novices chase would have been the feature at the now abandoned warwick uh, I don't know whether this is going to be rescheduled. The BHA says it's on a case-by-case basis and they're still working it through. Is there a case for it to be rescheduled? Well, there's only three of them that were set to go, wasn't there? Um, so it's it's not necessarily, it's not the most obviously compelling case to try and reschedule one. And we're getting you know closer and closer to the next stop. We, we assume which for many of them would be Cheltenham so I I, I don't know I mean it, I don't think it would have, it would be the worst thing in the world necessarily if this, if this race isn't rescheduled but I'm sure the individuals involved would like it to be um, Pembroke was going to be giving way to where Matata who I very much like I didn't seem to get in the in the same kind of jumping rhythm at Lingfield last time as compared to Cheltenham previously I think that when that horse runs at Cheltenham Matata I think he will run really well yeah and Daryl Jacob was going to be at Warwick to ride Matata. But as I said, he goes to Newbury in the Betfair hurdle to ride the favourite O'Castle de Mott. All right, well, lots of horses you can give a chance to in the Betfair hurdle tomorrow. One of them certainly is Orinu Mill, who was uh, earmarked for this race from some way out, and chance was only enhanced by a pretty comfortable victory uh, over Christmas time at Kempton Park. Victor Dartnell trains Orinu Mill, and he's being ridden by uh, Alan Johns. And as luck would have it, uh, I rang Alan, and I've got two for the price of one. Because never mind you, Alan. I want to talk to I want to talk to the organ grinder here. Um, Victor, how is the horse? He's in great form. He's very fresh and well. And uh, uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm looking forward to it tomorrow. And, and as I said, uh, Kempton. I wondered whether this was a race that you had in mind, and it, it seems that you've had it in mind for for some time. What about it do you think will suit him so well? Well, two long straights at Newbury. And he's a horse that has to be settled in and and to come through them. And I think um, it'll be a fast run race, which should suit him down to the ground. And uh, I could just see him working his way through through him up the home straight, you know. But whether, I suppose, whether he's put him up nine for Kempton. But the thing is, I think he was um, given a hell of a chance at the start of the season when they dropped him from one, two, three down to 116. And somehow he ran off that at Wincanton, and Fergus claimed three. So little wonder he won so easily there. But last season, after he won at at, at Taunton, they had him on one, two, three, mm-hmm. and so I always thought he was going to improve from that mark. You know, well we'll, we'll see whether he has tomorrow. Okay. I mean, you've trained some some really smart hurdlers in this sort of division as well you know what you've got do, do you feel you've got a horse that is is talented and and capable enough to win a, a race like this i i think so really yes i mean howard death was our uh well, two-mile handicap hurdler and um he was actually fourth in the Schweppes as it was then um not beaten very far um but this horse has got plenty of pace and I would hope he'll be up there, yes. I certainly and the thing is it's only this season that we've been able to train him properly. He's had foot problems well, all our season. We couldn't train him from one race to the other and so we we're always had our had our back against the wall with him. But he seems to have gone on, he's improved with another year anyway and and we've had far less problems with him um uh this season and it's enabled us to have a sequence of runs, which has only improved it. Now, I noticed that, that Alan Johns is 0-4 on the horse and that other jockeys are 3-5 for five on him. So I'm, I'm wondering... All right, Nick. All right, Nick. You don't have to go into that now. <laughs> well, luckily, it's past declaration. So, uh, yeah. But anyway, carry on, carry on. I think that was just, as I say, when he's, it's been unfortunate when Alan's ridden him that um and in fact jamie rode him at sandown because alan wasn't available and uh um he wasn't half the horse at sandown but he'd actually been ill two or three weeks before he had a gut infection which wasn't his problem and uh again we were pushed to get him there and he had a bit of, of a blow but then it's been 
plain sailing and we've had the improvement from him. But no, Alan, um, well, he, he's just been unfortunate to ride him when he hasn't been spot on, you know. Um, but uh, Fergus has done very well on him, but Fergus has got so many commitments anyway and um, with, with Dan Skelton's yard and, um, um, you know, Alan rides, you know, for me when when he's available and that's always been the arrangement for a number of years now. So that's it. And, and Alan, you know what they say, the best ability is availability. <laughs> yes, I like that. Yeah, well, I didn't really appreciate you sort of throwing me under the bus there. But um, but anyway, yeah, l- luckily we are past the point of declaration. So no turning back from here if, they, if Victor wasn't quite aware of those stats. So, um, yeah, it's, um, I, I've always loved the horse myself. And it's, it's really nice to see him sort of fulfilling his potential this year. And obviously he's up nine from last time and... You, you always need a big step up to win a, a race of this nature, but I, from my point of view, it's just exciting to have a horse with a with a real life chance. And um, like Victor said, the the conditions should suit him. He hasn't on his last couple of wins, he hasn't actually travelled that well through the middle part of the race before going on to sort of dominate, you know, from two out sort of thing. So I think the um, you know the the track layout at Newbury will be far more in his favour than Kempton and. He'll have to improve, but um, you know you've got to be in it to win it. Best of luck, both of you. It'd be a great result if he if he came through to win. Uh, just sorry, I, I won't be there to see him, but um, but fingers crossed. Yeah, perfect. Thanks very much. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. Two for the price of one. There um, got Victor Dartnell and Alan Johns, and they clearly quite like the chances of Orin Yi Mill. Um, I don't think Alan was overly enamoured with my uh, assessment <laughs> of the. The jockey, the jockey history on this horse was a bit, a bit cruel, but he he is a very funny man who can take a joke extremely well. I, I was going to say, I mean, he's he he is he is very very funny. He does he does make me laugh. And if you if, you know if you're giving out that kind of humour, you've got to take it. And I'm sure he did. He was asking me the other day. He wants to do the Mongol Derby. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah, he does. He wants to do it next year. And he actually, I I'm I, this is semi serious. He he wanted a film crew to follow him because he thought he and Tim Vaughan would make quite a good documentary. And I think they would. I think it would be brilliant, actually. If you're talking about what would make a good Netflix show, following those two across the desert doing that would be probably pretty hilarious. I actually agree with you. That would be funny. That would be good. Yeah. So he said, well, who do I get to sponsor me? And I don't know how far this thing is. It's hundreds of miles long, isn't it? On a horse that it's not going to be the most comfortable thing in the world. And so I said, well, why did, what about pseudocreme as a joke? <laughs> anyway, the, the next thing I know, he'd sent me a letter, which, which to whoever make pseudocreme, I'm, I'm not sure, Procter um, <laughs> & Gamble or whoever it is, saying, <laughs> dear sirs, I don't know if you've heard of this, but, you know, what do oh, you think? Oh, that would be brilliant. What that would be think? absolutely brilliant. Oh, it's it's all perfect. Somebody has has got to do this. I think somebody somebody has got to follow them on this this journey. There is more chance of them being the subject of a Netflix documentary, I fancy, than Charles Burns. But he is back this weekend with Blazing Carl, uh, his stable star, who didn't quite cut it last year when all things were expected of him. He's clearly incredibly hard to train. What's going to happen in the Boyne Hurdle at Navan? He's well. uh, It's I mean, uh, Blazing Carl won this. Uh, this race last year and went on to finish sixth in the Stayers Hurdle. Many people were expecting him to do better than that. We haven't seen him so far this season. We also haven't seen Sire de Burley this season. He is 12 years old and he got his third win at the Cheltenham Festival in the Stayers Hurdle and he went on to follow up in the Liverpool Hurdle Grade 1 for good measure as well. A fabulous horse who is clearly being trained for uh, specifically the latter end of the season by by Gordon Elliott. So it's great to have him back. He's going to be really exciting. And um, as you said, Galvin is there. Uh, Delta work with one eye on both of them on the cross-country chase. Hidden Valley Lake is also there, who's an interesting runner. Quite a talented hurdler and was unfortunate um, he fell uh, on his, his chase debut. So he's there as well. You've got Ashdell Bob who's got this season's form. So I think we're going to get a good idea about where these various horses are at, particularly with an eye on the stayers hurdle, Side of Burley and Blazing Cow will be coming towards a boil for that particular race. Okay. Always talk about what didn't happen at Newcastle last yeah. night. I mean, this is sort of funny and sort of a bit ridiculous in equal measure. It is. Okay, so um, belatedly, uh, 
Newcastle and or the BHA realised that the uh, 5.05, a 10 furlong race, was scheduled to be run seven minutes after sunset. And there is only floodlights on the straight track at Newcastle, not on the round track. And so at 10.40 a.m., they called off that particular race. They postponed it. It's now going to be run on Sunday. Unfortunately, the likes of Goldora, who is the favourite for the race, had already embarked on the 500-mile round trip. He's trained by Jack Jones in Newmarket, and he'd had the extra inconvenience of having to send a member of staff with that horse to Newcastle, but also hire another trainer's horse box to get a filly he was running at Lingfield on her way there as well. He also makes the point that Goldora would have missed a day's exercise. He's going to be at a disadvantage against the... Uh, the more local northern-based trainers who he'll be running against on Sunday. Um, the BHA have offered to reimburse costs to all connections, which I think is right. Uh, they have rightly owned up to the error. But, I mean, you know, I have some sympathy. There are lots of moving parts when you're talking about scheduling races. Um, there are um, sunset times. There are the amount of times it takes for a, a race course to go through the revolution between race races, i.e. to get the horses from the stables it, into the paddock. It, it's all about distance. I mean, for example, you know, it takes a long time, uh, to, long longer to get to post at, say, Cheltenham or Newmarket than it might do at different courses that are more compact and laid out. So they have to think better that in mind on saturdays or big days they also have to bear in mind the immovable race times of itv and or rte and and of course we'll have the the premier racing window as well to work around so there are a number of things to juggle however it seems to me that quite often that the checking process the double checking process doesn't seem to happen because we'll often end up with say for example a very long distance race run immediately before a, a feature race and quite often for example at york you'll have Perth you know a, th a three mile plus race at Perth running into the back of the big race of York's day off and I, rem I just remember standing here and there and, and that happening frequently that's just one example It'll happen many times to, looking at the outside it seems to me that the fail safe checking process where the first person has gone through and, and laid out where all the, the races should be that there, there needs to be a better backstop there isn't a backstop who sense checks those decisions that have been made all right, Lydia, Milton Harris has announced his decision to lodge an appeal against the withdrawal of his licence. It's not likely to be heard for a little while yet, and that means that the temporary licence granted to the current incumbent, Anthony Charlton, will continue for the time being, because they can't do anything about that until Milton Harris's appeal has been heard. Um, so what's the protocol now? Okay, so the, the licensing committee that heard the original hearing uh, was made up of the three-person panel, Sarah Crowther, Casey, Alison Royston and Kirsty Madden. They are a part of the pool from which the appeal members will be drawn. You can't have the same three people uh, rehearing uh, a case, quite obviously. And so there are uh, three potential chairs amongst uh, the uh, pool that they can draw from. The Right Honourable Sir Gary Hickenbottom, he's a former Court of Appeal judge, uh, um, Susan Ahern, who's a barrister, accredited mediator and international arbitrator, and his honourable um, Clement Goldston um, KC, um, who is a retired circuit judge and formerly the honorary recorder of Liverpool. Any of those three could act as chair. Uh, the other two could sit alongside or other members of the pool could sit alongside and they will hear um, Milton Harris's hearing. But to me, the fact that he is bringing an appeal is just further evidence that he hasn't really taken on board any of the points or any of the processes that he went through previously in his licensing hearing, where we heard about how he was a bully, how he consciously and deliberately misled the BHA over a long period of time, how he uh, set out to have inappropriate control and power over the private and personal lives of young and vulnerable employees. All the way through, he he did not recognise the BHA's authority. Uh, the uh, licensing uh, committee decided, ruled that they found that he was ungovernable 
or at least in the reg regulatory context, not capable of being regulated. And throughout it, it seemed that Milton Harris uh, painted himself as a victim and uh, presumably truly believes it in his mind. Um, but anyone who reads what he has what he has done and all of that evidence can only feel that the licensing committee has come to the correct conclusion and that this is a man who should not have a license. I you know I don't understand the pull of him and what you know why you would. I mean, obviously he's a very talented trainer, but when you read through everything else, I find it odd that anybody would want to have a horse with him. I certainly feel that the that the licensing committee came to the right conclusion and this. Appeal, as I said, seems to be just proof that he 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 doesn't understand what he has done. He doesn't recognise the process, and the whole thing really is quite tiresome. The sale yesterday at Goffs, and you had to wait till very near the end uh, for the fireworks, and um, that was one of the most talked about families in in the stud book at the moment. Family of Quivega, Facile Vega, Aurora Vega. And many of the other Vegas are now um, homed by Liz Lucas of Swanbridge Bloodstock, who, who joins me now because Liz um, won out, uh, courtesy of her agent Jerry Hogan, €150,000 for Princess Vega, who is a winning half-sister to, uh, to Facile Vega. Uh, Liz, there's a, bit of, there's a bit of history here. Just tell us how your association with this family began. Well, there was a, um, what was a yearling at that point in December, uh, Goff's December just gone, um, we liked her a lot. Um, an order of St. George, Philly. The page says it all, really. Um, so, you know, we always buy a nice Philly if we see one. She came on the market. I went across um, and we purchased her, never dreaming that her mother was going to come on the market as well. Um, so so that's what we did. So we've got her. Ultimately, she'll go into training. Um, and so that's where it started, really. We got a chance to get into that superb pedigree. Um, and then the mayor came up yesterday and it was like, Jerry, just go and have a look at her and see if you're happy with her. Jerry knows exactly what we like. We trust him implicitly. He's a good judge of a horse. So, yeah, he liked what he saw, rang us back, and we said, right, let's go for it. So that's what we did. So you already have you already have her own daughter. Now you have her. She, as I say, is a half-sister to Facile Vega. She's in full to walk in the park. So the progeny is going to be very closely related. It's all coming together quite nicely. It's starting to make 150000 I'm not going to say cheap, Liz, but, but it's starting to make it look not a bad buy. Yeah, the, the good mares with the good pages are making a lot of money. Either they're a good race mare or the really top pages. She's probably one of the top pages out there. We were expecting that sort of ballpark figure. Um, I think she made what she was actually worth. Coolmore were on her as well. So I think it was Jerry and uh, Magpia's head-to-head on her from about 100,000. But she made well, roughly what we'd thought she'd make. But they're not cheap, these good mares now. They're making a lot of money, brood mares are, probably as much as anything, really, if you've got the page or the race there. So, fingers crossed, everything goes okay with the foaling. Have you an idea of where you're going to send her after walk in the park? After the walk in the park foal is born, uh, if the walk in the park is going to be very nice, and hopefully it is, I would think she'll return to walk in the park. He's just about the best stallion in the business at the moment, isn't he? Well, I, I, I guess that's arguable, but he's but he he's very good for sure. Yeah, and he's clicked with 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 that page. Yeah. So it would be silly at this stage to disappear off the radar. I think you might as well stick with what's proven in that page. Vega's obviously got Facile Vega. She's got two younger siblings by Walk in the Park, which are going to Willie Mullins, um, which could be anything when Willie Mullins has got hold of them. Um, so it would make it would make sense. She'll go back to Ireland, I think, back to Walk in the Park. Okay, and Liz, how, how um, extensive now is the Swanbridge Broodmare Band? How many are you expecting this year? Uh, we've got 12 foals expected um, this year. I've got 17 brood mares. But what I'm trying to do now, Nick, and we all learn with experience. Everybody does. You can never stop learning. A lot of my mares are starting to get late teens. So when they get to the point they're not breeding and they're retired and have a doddery old life here, I'm trying to compress it to a, a tighter brood mare band, so perhaps 12, but really high quality, quality, quality mares. Okay, and so what are, what are the other um, blue hens at the moment, or potential blue hens? 
what I've got at the moment, I've got a half-sister to Many Clouds. Uh, she's a maiden mare. I've got Intense Tango, um, who her first foal is Intense Approach. It's in Ireland that's very smart. Um, Dolly Penrose was the dam of that bumper winner that hosed up really well in the Goths bumper. I'm just having a wonder around now, having a look. Oh, this um, was the, the, the Anthony... Connected. Yeah, the an- of, Anthony Honeyball, um, yeah. Yeah, I've got Well Connected is the dam of Midnight River at Dan Skelton's, and he thinks a lot about that. Tagrita, Blue Buttons, there's just some nice mares on the yard. Beautiful mares. And what about stallions you're going to use this year, Liz? Any surprise packages, anything that you've really looked at and thought, oh, that, that could be good, or, or do you just tend to go with the ones that are more familiar now? I've gone, well, no, to be fair, I have gone with the, with the, the better ones. Jack Hobbs is, I think, getting three or four of mine this year. Um, obviously, Logician, I'm going to postpone, but I've been to him before when he was at Darley, so there'll be a couple of going to postpone. I'm sending him on to Capri this year. I liked him at the sales um, at the Stallion Show uh, in January, so he's getting one. Uh, I suppose I'm about a bit really, but they are all familiar names, really. All right, Liz Lucas there. Good luck to her with the uh, um, Vega family. That's certainly a good family to get into. Lydia Hislop has something for you to get into either today or for the weekend. I do, and I am going to Newbury on Saturday. It is the second race, the one thirty, and I'm interested in Emma Tom. Um, who represents Alan King, Tom Cannon on board, ran a really good second at Ludlow last time, uh, chased home uh, that horse of John Joe Neal's, his name briefly escapes me, uh, St. Davy, St. Davy, I think. It's yes, he won, the, he won the other day, yeah. At Sandan, yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, and he, uh, Emerson, was well clear of the of the re- the rest of the field. He seems to have come back to to form. He's only two pound high. Handles the the conditions. So it's Emerson in the one thirty at Newbury on Saturday. All right, Lydia. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Friday, February the 9th. Charlotte back with you after nine o'clock this evening. I will be back with you tomorrow, and the second edition of our US podcast will be going out this weekend as well. And that is not one to be missed. All right, we'll see you on Monday. Bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you by Timeform, the trusted source of racing data and analysis, by the Racehorse Owners Association and by the racing app in partnership with Fitstairs.